Guardian Unlimited. Questions to the Prime Minister, Martin Salter. Number one, Mr Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in expressing our profound condolences to the family and friends of Guardsman Daryl Hickey of the 1st Battalion, the Grenadier Guards, who was killed in Afghanistan last week. He died doing vital work in the service of our country. We owe him and others who have lost their lives a deep debt of gratitude. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings today. Martin Salter. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With eight out of ten prisoners in some prisons testing positive for Class A drugs, the Prime Minister will be acutely aware how drugs and drug addiction are fuelling crime in our constituencies. However, will he also acknowledge that many of us are concerned that sufferers of multiple sclerosis and other debilitating conditions have been waiting since 2001 for the cannabis-based medicine Sabatex to be licensed for use in the UK as it is in Canada. Is it not about time we had a drugs policy that doesn't criminalise the sick but tackles the drugs that do the most harm? I'm grateful to my my, my friend and I'd like to pay tribute to the work that he has done on behalf of uh, MS uh, sufferers in all parts of the country. I can say to him that the use of the drug he's talking about, Sabitax, is now under review by the medical authorities. I can also say to him that next week uh, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, will publish a consultation uh, document uh, to review our drugs strategy for the future, and she will be asking the public to comment on new ways in which we can improve drugs education in the country, give support uh, to uh, people undergoing treatment where we have doubled the numbers in treatment but need to do more, and give support for communities who want to chase out drug dealers for their communities. As part of that consultation, and the Cabinet discussed this yesterday, the Home Secretary will also consult on whether it is now right that cannabis should be moved from Class C to Class B. David Cameron. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Guardsman Darrell Hickey, who was killed in Afghanistan on Thursday. He died serving our country. Three weeks ago, the Prime Minister started letting prisoners out of jail early under his early release scheme. Can he tell us how many prisoners have been let out and how many of them were convicted of violent offences? Can I say to him that the figures were given to the House on Monday by the Justice Secretary. I think it's true to say around 1,700 people were released. It's true also to say that nobody who was serving a sentence for a serious violent offence, nobody who was subject to registration requirements of the Sex Offenders Act, nobody who had previously escaped custody, nobody who had breached temporary release conditions, nobody had currently served a sentence for failing to return for temporary release, and other conditions, all these conditions meant that people were not released under these circumstances. I think the Prime Minister needs to get a new briefer. 344 of those criminals were convicted of violent offences. Those are the facts. What what the Prime Minister has effectively said means that 25,000 prisoners are going to be released early this year, all from a government that told us they'd be tough on crime. Now, it has also been alleged there are cases... It has been alleged that there are cases where police and probation staff objected to the release of individual criminals because of the risk that they posed, but they were overruled. Has that happened? I've got to correct him, first of all. We said at the time when we released people early, and remember it was 18 days early, not a year, not six months, not nine months, 18 days early, we said at the time that nobody who was serving a sentence for a serious violent offence would be released. We made it absolutely clear at the time, and it is disingenuous for the Leader of the Opposition now to come back and say the opposite. 
as far as as far as any individual as far as any individual cases about probation that he raises, I will assure him that the Justice Secretary will investigate. But let us remember that we also announced at the time, and this is where the Conservative Party have got to tell us what their views are on this, that we Oh yes. We, we, we also announced at the time that we'd increase the number of prison places by another 1,800. That is on top of the extra 8,000 that are being increased, and that means that we have increased the number of prison places in this country from 60,000 to 90,000. We have provided resources for 140,000 police, for 16,000 community support officers, and at no time has the opposite party said they will match us in the resources we are providing. Those 344 criminals who were released had been convicted of violent offences like violence against the person. Is the Prime Minister saying he doesn't think that's serious? Now, on the issue issue of whether police and probation staff have been overruled, Harry Fletcher, one of the leaders of the National Association of Probation Officers, said this, in many cases, probation and police staff... Let the Leader of Opposition speak. Let him speak. He said this, in many cases, probation and prison staff objected to the release of violent criminals, but they had been overruled. Why didn't the Prime Minister know about that? I've said, I've said to the Right Honourable Member that I will ask the Justice Secretary to write to him on this very matter of individual cases. But, what, but I, what I will say to him is this, that the terms on which people were released were made very clear at the time. Prisoners serving a sentence for serious violent offences, sex offences, escaping custody, breaching temporary release, we listed the 15 conditions that would not allow people to be released, and it is wrong for him to come back and say that we have broken the word that we gave to the House of Commons. So the Prime Minister had no idea that prison staff, probation staff, were being overruled and criminals were being released onto our streets who they thought posed a real risk. That's the truth. Now, some of the criminals who've been released went on to commit further offences. What would the Prime Minister say to the victims of those criminals who were released early? I have have investigated what has happened as a result of the Home Secretary's statement since Monday. Let me just say, everybody who was released, everybody who was released was released after debate within the prison and probation service about what should happen. And it is wrong for him to say that there was no discussion that took place that was listened to by ministers on this. As far as as the issues issues that he raises about the future policy are concerned, I come back to tell him the terms... It it goes as well. The Prime Minister has got to be heard as well. Prime Minister... I come back to what I said. On Monday, when the Home Secretary made a statement and listed the number of people who had been released, then listed the number of people who had been recalled, and many people who have been recalled have come back as a result of being recalled as a result of it. I understand, I understand, I, 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 under, I understand that it is less than not, I, I understand that it is less than 1% of those people who have been released that have been recalled, and I hope you'll agree with me that the figures are very low. So that's it. He's got absolutely nothing to say to the victims of the prisoners that he released early. The, the, very, the very least... The very least they should expect is an apology from the Prime Minister. Now, he says discussions go on about whether these criminals should be released. He doesn't know what's going on. This is the probation circular sent to the probation service, and it says on page two, the probation service is not required to conduct a risk assessment or an accommodation check prior to a prisoner's release. He doesn't know what's going on in his prisons. Right. 
The government told us the government told us the government told us repeatedly that this scheme would be a temporary measure. Can the Prime Minister confirm that it definitely will not become a permanent part of our criminal justice system? Mr Speaker, we will continue to review it and let me and let yes and let me let me say to him. Early release is not something that happened just under the Labour government. It happened on two major occasions under the Conservative government. And let me also, let me also, say, and let me also say, when he raises the question of the individual assessment, each person who was released was assessed against the criteria that I have read out to him in the House of Commons here. And as for anybody where there has been any offences committed, yes, I regret if anything has happened, but let us look at the evidence that is before us before we draw conclusions as he is trying to do. And let me just say to him that the new announcement we made a few weeks ago was that we were building more prison places. I thought he would support that. The new, the new announcements we made in recent months are that we are going to increase community policing. There are now going to be neighbourhood policing units in every town and city of England. Now, he should be supporting that. Unfortunately, his shadow chancellor says there is no more money for law and order. That is the position of the Conservative Party. He doesn't know what's going on in the prisons, and he doesn't even know what his own ministers are saying. Last week, the Lord Chancellor said that this could become a permanent feature of the criminal justice system. This Prime Minister doesn't know who's being released, doesn't know whether they're violent offenders, can't tell us whether probation officers have been overruled, doesn't know how many crimes have been committed, won't apologise to the victims of those crimes, won't tell us how long this scheme will last. Isn't it the case that when it comes to this government and law and order, it is the same old broken promises, the same old incompetence, the same old Labour? This is... This, Mr Speaker... This is the party under which crime doubled. This is the party under which the number of police officers fell. And this is the party where the Shadow Chancellor has said... Lot, lot, they, they, sh they should listen to what the Shadow Chancellor is telling them. Lots of Conservatives come up to me and say, we've really got to put more money into this and that. We need more soldiers, we need more police, and so on. Now, these are all very good things, but they do cost money. It's part of our discipline, part of our test of whether we are ready for government, is whether we can resist these additional draws on public expenditure. That is, that is the Conservative Party. All talk, no real policy. He said he was the future once, and all he can do is talk about the past. Helen Can I ask my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, if he will meet with children's charities that are working with children who run away or go missing from home or care, so that we can find out how we can better protect these children from harm? I'm grateful to my honourable friend because she has taken up the case of the hundreds of runaway children, children who during the course of the, the year uh, go missing, cannot be found, and we do not have proper coordination of services to do so. And I agree with her that we should encourage all local authorities to take this more seriously, and we need a national system by which we can find missing children. So I look forward to meeting children's charities, as I know the schools minister is going to do in the future, to talk about this very grave problem. Sir Mingus Campbell. Yeah. May I associate myself with the Prime Minister's expression of sympathy and condolence? 
Yesterday's Ryan Tree report confirmed that the gap between the rich and the poor is as wide as it has been for 40 years. How does the Prime Minister propose to deal with this unfairness? I I, I don't accept this. What has happened in the last few years is that the numbers of people taken out of poverty as a result of the policies of this government has risen very substantially. And while child poverty trebled under the previous Conservative government, it is coming down now. While pensioner poverty was very high, it is coming down now. I accept that in every advanced industrial country, inequality is a major issue. But I have to read to him what Professor Danny Dorling, the co-author of the report, actually said. He said, people have, he said we, we, have looked at the groups, we have looked at the groups who are the poorest of the poor. That group has actually reduced in size in the last 10 years, and it has also become less geographically concentrated. And that almost certainly, he says, is due to government policies. People earning less than 18,500 a year who now pay more tax as a result of his last budget. Why doesn't the Prime Minister close the loopholes for the very rich which he's created and use that money to cut tax for low and middle income families? Why not legislate for the many and not the few? The one thing that would happen to people under 18,500 under the Liberal Party policies is they would be worse off. And the reason is that all the major measures we have taken, the New Deal, the tax credits, the Child Trust Fund, each one of them was opposed by the Liberal Party. David Taylor. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The political situation in Darfur is too fragile and the humanitarian crisis too dire to contemplate any further delays in deploying the hybrid peacekeeping force. Can the Prime Minister tell the House what approach he will deploy at the United Nations to show whether our new government has the spirit and soul to lead a global campaign in extirpating the spreading moral stain which threatens to utterly engulf this region of Africa. My Honourable Friend has taken a major interest in Darfur and he will know that the International Development Secretary is in Darfur at the moment looking at the situation on the ground. 200,000 people have died as a result of the conflict in Darfur. Uh, There are 2 million people who are uh, homeless and displaced as a result of it. There are 4 million people who would starve but for food aid. And it is urgent now that the international community uh, reach an agreement on the appropriate response. We are sponsoring a United Nations resolution to bring in an African Union and United Nations force into the region as quickly as possible. I believe that even before that force arrives, there should be a cessation of violence on the ground, and the President has a responsibility for making that happen. We would then be prepared to give emergency economic aid so that the people of this area were given a chance of a better livelihood. But we are prepared to take further sanctions against the government and against people in that regime if they do not cease the violence, stop the militias, and make sure that people have a decent living standard in a region that for too long has suffered from poverty, famine, and war. And will it come? Can I ask the Prime Minister if he will personally take time out of this busy day to confirm, first of all, that it is still the policy of his government, as it has been of previous governments, not to deport people to countries which have the death penalty and under which they are in danger from the death penalty. And if he is aware that in nine hours' time, this country is going to deport a Christian lady who is called Sama Rezavi, who apostatized in Iran, who fled Iran, who is under a death warrant from Iran, and yet who has been refused asylum. 
Don't ask him to comment on asylum. Will he please look at the case with an urgent view to intervention? Of of, of course, uh, I I will look at the case that she's uh, she's brought to to me, and we'll look at it in detail immediately. I have to say to her also that it it is our policy not to deport to to countries where torture has been uh, practiced. Uh, We are trying to sign uh, new agreements with individual countries where they will guarantee that they will uh, repatriate people, but on conditions in which there will be no torture. We have signed three agreements already. There are many more agreements that we wish to sign, and we will try to move this forward. But I hope she'll give us all the details today so that we can follow it up. Chris Roon. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, I held an adjournment debate on the coroner's report into the tragic death of four cyclists from Real Cycling Club in January 2006. The coroner made some strong recommendations. What measures can the Prime Minister take to ensure that there is a complete review of how police call centres uh, uh, handle ice-related accidents, that there is a cross-border cooperation between local authority gritting departments, that legal advisers, solicitors, uh, insurance companies cannot deliberately prolong and frustrate coroner's inquiries, and that there is a review into why the CPS did not take action against the driver in this terrible accident? I'm sure the whole House uh, will join me in sending our condolences to the families of the four cyclists who were killed in this tragic accident which took place in January 2006. And and I I want to pay tribute also to the dignity with which these families have conducted themselves following this uh, terrible event. It was on June 27th that the coroner raised a number of very serious uh, concerns about uh, what had happened. And I can reassure him that I will look into each of these with uh, my ministerial colleagues I understand that the Minister for the Police has already agreed to meet with both him and the family, and I'm informed this morning that the Minister has also asked to meet with the lead police officer for roads policing to discuss how best the lessons highlighted by the coroner can be learned. I think it is incumbent upon us all when such a serious accident has caused such loss of life that we investigate all the circumstances and see what lessons we can learn. Mark Prisk. Mr Speaker, over the last year, one-third of all small shopkeepers have been violently attacked, often by baseball bats and by knives. As the Labour member for Chorley said earlier in questions, how can letting out thousands of prisoners early help those people? And don't those shopkeepers who serve all our constituents deserve better after ten years of this government? I think he will agree that the the length of sentences for people who are convicted of these uh, crimes has been increased. That's one of the reasons why there are more people in prison even after after crime falls. And I think he should know that the numbers of people in prison have risen from 60,000 to nearly 80,000 and the number of prison places will rise to 90,000 over the next few years. So we are not only increasing the sentences uh, that are inflicted on people who commit these crimes, but we are also increasing the number of prison places available. Again, I hope he will support us as we've increased the number of police and community support officers so that we have neighbourhood policing that enables the shopkeepers that he's talking about and all residents to be properly protected. Helen Jones. The government's policy of helping lone parents to get into work has assisted thousands of families and constituents like mine to get out of poverty. But for many, childcare still remains expensive and there are many employers who are still reluctant to allow flexible working. What further steps can the Prime Minister take to help those parents who are trying to get their families a better life by getting off benefits and into work. I I hope uh, hope, uh, my honourable friend's uh, work in our own constituency is going to be repaid by the announcement that is about to be made by the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions. 
it has always been our intention to get more lone parents into work with providing them with the childcare and the training facilities that are necessary for them to do so. Since 1997, the numbers of lone parents and workers raised by, has been raised by more than 200,000. It's gone from 43% to 57% of all lone parents. In the next few years, we can make enormous progress in partnership with employers. And today, I met a group of employers, particularly from the retail sector, from all the major names, Asda, Sainsbury, Marks and Spencers, B&Q, all the major companies who wish to employ lone parents and others who are on the inactive register at the moment. They are prepared to give them training and support into work. We are prepared to help with the New Deal for Lone Parents. It means that we will reduce the age at which uh, uh, young children who are going to school and benefit is claimed by the lone, the lone parent as, uh, as separate benefit other than as income support. But it also means there are huge opportunities, perhaps a quarter of a million opportunities, in addition to what exists at the moment for lone parents and others to get into work. Dr. Julian Lewis. Number five, Mr. Speaker. As we said in the white paper published in July 2004, the Navy will operate a fleet of 25 destroyers and frigates. Investment in the Navy has increased from $780 million for capital equipment to $1.3 billion this year, with new investment of $6 billion planned in the next three years. In 2004, Mr. Speaker, the then First Sea Lord, Admiral Sir Alan West, now a minister in his own administration, <laughs> criticised the government for abandoning its promise in the Strategic Defence Review to keep 32 frigates and destroyers and reduce the total to only 25. He described it as piling risk on risk. Will the Prime Minister now guarantee that there will be no further reductions from this total of 25 frigates and destroyers. Yeah, yeah. And, si and since, since these uh, uh, announcements, we've announced the, the biggest programme of investment in our Navy for future years. And, and, it, and he will know that six billion investment over the next three years is a major commitment to our Navy. We look forward to making an announcement soon on the future of aircraft carriers. And I believe that we are meeting our commitments to create a modern Navy for the future. Well, I, 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 just, I just repeat what the Shadow Chancellor says. There are lots of Conservatives. There's lots of Conservatives who say we've got to put more money into our armed forces. Part of the test of whether we're ready for government is whether we can resist these additional drains on public expenditure. He better talk to his Shadow Chancellor first. Would the, would the Prime Minister agree with me uh, that it's not necessary? to have a referendum before ordering two aircraft. Oh, order, oh, order, order. It's a closed question, and because he had Fairfield Shipyard in his constituency, I called him. Well, ask about the carriers, not a referendum. Yeah. Yeah. As I was saying, would the Prime Minister agree that it's not necessary to have a referendum before ordering two aircraft carriers? And would he, would he, would he agree with me? Would you agree with me that this is the forum in which an announcement would made, should be made, surrounded as he is with his allies, admittedly some only recent, behind him, and, and in front of him, in front of him, not his opponents, but potential recruits? Well, I'm glad he describes himself as, a, as an ally. I, I, I hope. I hope. I hope, I hope we will be able to make an announcement soon on the aircraft carriers, but what I would say is our commitment to future naval investment in this uh, country is very high indeed. 
I, I believe uh, that the future of the Navy is best safeguarded by the levels of investment we're putting in. And I'm glad he agrees with me that there's no need for a referendum on any issue at the moment. Speaker, many of my constituents will be somewhat concerned about the Prime Minister's equivocal remarks about early release, which now will probably become a permanent feature of our criminal justice system. But can he answer the, the question, was Harry Fletcher correct to point out that senior probation officers were overruled on early release decisions? Who should one trust most? Loyal, hard-working probation officers, servants of the Crown, or ministers obsessed with spin? Yeah. I've already said that the decision about early release on individuals was against a criteria that was set down to this House of Commons and very specific criteria that were listed for us. And I repeat, I repeat to this House that there was no prisoner serving a sentence for a serious violent offence who was released and that was not part of the criterion that were followed. Nobody serving a serious violent offence was released. Right. Mr Speaker, my right honourable friend may have noticed gaps in the chamber last week as members from all sides played a game of tag rugby with the uh, rugby league greats, the rugby football union and the rugby football league to support the British Asian Rugby Association in the work they do to bring people from all uh, minorities uh, into the community through participation in sport. Would my right honourable friend join me in congratulating Ikram Butt, Heather Ta Taylor, who is not a teacher, and all those connected with VARA, in the work they do in bringing together people of all creeds and minorities uh, through sport to make a cohesive community in our country? M M Mr Speaker, I welcome uh, the cooperation between the Asian and British uh, rugby associations. And I also understand that my honourable friend has been asked to be the sports ambassador for rugby league and I welcome to a new post. Participation in sport helps to promote community cohesion and we will do everything, even if voices off are not supporting it, we will do that. Dr Vincent Cable. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, as the principal architect of the public-private partnership for London Underground, yeah. can the Prime Minister explain how £500 million was spent on lawyers and consultants to create a construction which has now collapsed, leaving the British taxpayer with three and a half billion pounds of, of uh, bank loans and considerable uncertainty for the future of tra public transport in the capital. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't accept what he's saying. Uh, if, if, if Metronet pulls out, another company will be found to take its place. And another company will be found alongside the tube uh, company that is the other private sector company involved in the consortium. What he's got to remember is we're engaged in one of the biggest civil engineering projects that's ever happened in London. We're increasing the number of people using the tube from a billion a year to one and a half billion a year. This is a 17 billion investment that would always be done by private construction and engineering firms. And we are, we are committed as a government to do something that uh, at least the opposite party is not prepared to do, and that is to provide a billion a year extra money for investment in the tube. And I would say to him, the number of stations already refurbished, the number of additional trains, the number of projects underway show our commitment to invest in the London Underground, and I hope that he will support us in that project. Yeah. Bob Marshall Andrews. Very, very, very helpful, thank you very much. <laughs> the, um, the, the, the government has recently decreed that parliamentary secretaries shall sit on select committees. Uh, parliamentary secretaries are de facto part of the executive and select committees, at least in part, 
are intended to scrutinise that executive and the conflict and the conflict is obvious and apparent. Um, does this, how does this accord with the welcome and noble sentiments that uh, were expressed by my right honourable friend two weeks ago as to the independence of Parliament? He's raising a very important issue. I, I'm sorry if we're going to lose his uh, services in the next uh, Parliament. Um, uh, I, I, he's, re he's referring to the role of parliamentary private secretaries, but they will not sit on the departmental select committees for which they are parliamentary private secretaries. I can give him that assurance. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. According to official figures, over 1,500 prisoners have got Sky TV in their own cells. Five prisons have swimming pools for prisoners' use and two-thirds of prisoners have got keys to their own cells. Is the Prime Minister proud of this and what's he going to do about it? And what we have done is increase the, sen the sentences for those people who commit the worst of crimes. And what he should know is that there are nearly 10,000 people in prison who are under indeterminate sentences as a result of the toughening of punishment. And that is why we have raised the number of prison places from 60,000 to 80,000 and they will go to 90,000 in the next few years. We are honouring our commitment to deal harshly with those people who commit crime. Jim Devine. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will my right honourable friend join with me in condemning the performance and behaviour of Greenbelt, a ground maintenance company who provides services to tens of thousands of homes throughout the United Kingdom? They charge up to £400 per household and provide little or no service. They are fair packed for homeowners. Last week, the lawyer sent a threatening letter to me and to my constituent, Paula Hugerbrugger. Paula, a single mum, has been monitoring their behaviour on a national basis. They also contacted her employers with a threat to silence her or get her sacked. Will you join with me in condemning this behaviour? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm grateful for giving this information. I shall look into the matter he raises. And men. Under his chancellorship, a budget of 20 million for 2006 and 40 million for 2007-8 was announced for the drug treatment testing programme in prisons. Since then, it's been cut to 12 million and 12.7 million, respectively. Now, his prime minister, will the prime minister consider revising that now back to the original figure? Right, right. I just have to tell you that since we came into government, there's been a big increase. There's been a big increase in the amount of drug treatment in prisons, and that will continue in the next spending round. Order. Guardian Unlimited.